The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, if you have your Bibles, you open to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Psalm 23, last week we got through just verse one. And today we're gonna get through two and Lord willing three. Lord willing and the crick don't rise. That's what my Iowan family would say. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for your word that has been read in our hearing. We thank you that it has been breathed out by your Holy Spirit, profitable to generations of faithful Israelites and Christians. God, we thank you that it has been preserved for us and it has power to transform our experience in this life. God, I pray that we would have faith to receive it and that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says. God, give us eyes to see the world, not merely as it appears, but as you see it. God, I pray that you would use these verses to comfort and to mobilize and to restore your people. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Last week, we kicked off in verse one, talking about how the Lord is my shepherd and what it means to have a shepherd and what the impact of that, initial impact of that is in our life, kind of in a static way, Knowing that the Lord is your shepherd should make you feel a certain way. The psalmist says, I shall not want. I expanded that to, I shall not wander, I shall not worry. And so I don't know where you live in one side or the other. Some of you are plagued with worry. Others of us just run off, you know? But we need to know that we have a leader. We were made by God to be led, to be shepherded, to be cared for. We cannot do this for ourselves. We need a shepherd, but the Lord himself is indeed our shepherd. And verses two and three give us some insight into how the Lord shepherds us. And so it's expanding on last week. If you weren't here to be a part of the sermon, I'd love for you to follow up and give it a listen online, but I want to talk to you a little bit about how he does this. And some of our concepts for leadership and care go back to the way in which our parents raised us. There's a lot of pressure uh, to be a parent. I know you guys know this if you've been hanging out for a while, but the Jarvis family has four birthdays in three days this past week. Um, Julian and Meredith were born on the same day, December 2nd, five years apart. They are not twins. Uh, Julian and Molly, who look like twins, are one day apart. Molly was born on the third, although she's two years older than him. They're roughly the same size. He's going to be enormous. And then um, my birthday's the fourth yesterday. So we had four birthdays in three days. And so we just had like birthday party after birthday party after birthday party. And so Friday night, we had a birthday party at game time at One Daytona. And it was a bowling party. Our kids had never bowled before. 
And so we thought that'd be fun. It keeps them, give them something to do. We invite their friends. And so we had three, three of Julian's friends and three of Molly's friends and three of Meredith's friends and their siblings and their families. It was utter mayhem, let me tell you. <laughs> And uh, Game Time has this bowling alley, and it's kind of like a three-quarter length bowling alley. Now, I grew up in a bowling league, so if you didn't put that together already, I am a nerd. So. <laughs> but uh, I was part of a bowling league, and we were like legit bowling. You remember the La Paloma lanes? Anybody here been here long enough to remember? That was like the spot. That was where it was at. 40 lanes, full length. It was, it was, it was on. And these lanes are short, and they got the little uh, dangly string pin resetter. Have you seen that? The good news is, is that when you have 17 children bowling, there's like three balls going down the lane at a time. And uh, so we'd have just been having balls hitting the pin resetter over and over and over again. But the little guys, Julian and his friends, they liked bowling for like three seconds at a time. And then they would run off into the arcade, which is basically a terror maze for parents of small children. Have you ever, have you ever seen this? I mean, the, the volume in there is so loud, we couldn't hear Julian. So you imagine that. <laughs> And then the place is so big and there's stuff everywhere that he turns a corner and you can't see Julian. Imagine that. And so it's, you're completely overstimulated. You're trying to help all these little girls bowl. I got the boys disappearing, running around in their socks. It was like herding cats, folks. It was, it, we were just kind of, kind of taking turns watching the ones we had and somebody was going off to find the other ones. And, um, and so it was kind of reminding me of, uh, of my childhood a little bit. My parents had seven of us children. The good news is we never did anything fun. So my dad had us convinced that south of the border was Disney World. That's how he did it. So every time we drove to Maryland, we stopped at south of the border. We got a switchblade comb, because that's cool, and uh, donuts at the hot dog stand, and we made our way. And we, we got a picture in Pedro's hat, and we just assumed we had been to the mouse house. So we were, we were born in that generation of go play, come back at dark, I don't want to see you. And, and so um, we're trying to like up the game a little bit and give all these things to our children. Anybody else feeling the pressure to like provide this amazing childhood for your children? They don't care at all. They're just like, what's next? What's next? I'm like, four days of birthday? Can I have cake? No, you can't have cake for breakfast. Come on, we got to go to church. So this is like the world that we're, that we're living in. And, um, and all of us have these like different tools at our disposal for shepherding our children or for like leading our children around or, or the people in our businesses, our neighbors, our homeowners association, whatever, wherever it is that you have people kind of under your care. And um, some of us are very organized and direct and we just give good directions. Others of us are just kind of like nice and outgoing. Some of us have a big voice and we just boss people around. Uh, all of us have these like mechanisms and a lot of times we kind of like default back to what we learned from our parents or from some influential person. And we kind of fall back to those things. Now, I don't know if you're like me at all, um, but the world of people that we're trying to lead are also like not the easiest people. There's challenges that we face. And so we, find, we can find ourselves, especially in spheres of leadership, kind of stressed out and overburdened and frustrated. Can anybody relate? You're like, not here, not on this row, not today. <laughs> I'm just going to nod gently. And so here we are trying to figure this out together. Now, I mentioned last week, and this really is the presupposition for the whole series, is you need a leader, and the only leader you can trust completely that will never let you down is our Lord Jesus. Do you know that? Everybody else is only a copy or a shadow doing the best that they can. And so you personally, you yourself need a shepherd, and God himself has become that shepherd through Jesus. Amen. And the impact for you is that your life can be characterized 
by the phrase, I shall not want. I know that God's got my back. He's going to take care of everything. He's going to leave no detail overlooked. This is what we need. But how does he do this? Now, listen, if you've been a Jesus follower for any length of time, I need you to do some talk back for me this morning, okay? Because if you say, if I tell you how Jesus leads us and you just sit there quietly staring at me, I'm going to think I'm wrong, all right? So, so I've been at this for two decades. I know some of you guys have been at this for three and four and five. And so if you've experienced God's leadership, let me hear a hearty amen or that's true or a huh or say that again or whatever it is that you say. And if you're a recovering Presbyterian, just give it a shot. Just try it. Just try to talk in church. Let's try to talk in church. Number one, look at verse two. How does he do it? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What does that mean? What does that mean? Now, if you've never been a shepherd, which most of us have not, you may think he makes me, and you think about trying to get your dog to lie down. Sit, lay, stop. No, come here, stop, lay down. He makes me, and so you push him down and stay put. This is not the visual <laughs> that's going on here. Um, this is not how sheep are led. When, this, when the, the scripture says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, the reference here is that when the sheep is ready to rest, the location that the shepherd has led the sheep to is green. Now, this may not kind of resonate immediately because a lot of times we get this kind of picturesque, kind of Pinterest or Instagram version of shepherding with a nice little Psalm 23 quotation. And in the background is a picture like this of beautiful white sheep and lovely green pastures. And I got news for you, brothers and sisters. That's Ireland, not Israel. Do you know it? Do you know it? Let me show you a picture of what Israel looks like right now. Everything is brown. That's, that's what it looks like where this was written. And so for a shepherd to make the sheep lie down in green pastures means one of two things. Either the shepherd owns vast swaths of land and cultivates that land so that there is both water, sunshine, and the right grasses in season for the, shep for the sheep to eat, or the shepherd, like most shepherds, is nomadic and is constantly moving the sheep from one green place to the next. And so in this verse, that would have been very natural for the early reader to understand, the subject here is not so much rest as it is movement. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He says, all right, sheep, this is where we're going to eat and rest. This is where we're going to be fed. And now everybody up and we're on to the next place. And when we get to where you are weary, you are going to be able to put yourself down in green pastures where you can eat again, where you can be nourished and cared for. This is um, kind of illustrated in road trips you guys know when we travel for the holidays, you have a departure and a destination. Um, some of you are like hardcore, like we're going to do it in one straight shot kind of people. Put on a Depends and just go. Like I'm stopping for nobody. I'll change when I get there. I never understood that. People are like, I'm going home to Minnesota. It's a 30-hour drive. I'm like, where are you staying over? Nowhere. Like I'm just coffee and like, wow, you guys are inspiring to me. Uh, so like, I have like this like 10 hour limit, like after 10 hours, I'm like personally in such a bad mood. I just want to get out. It doesn't even matter where we're at. Uh, but we also travel with small children. And so small children are prone to just tell you they're ready to get out whenever it is. We had this coming back from Tennessee 
in September, we're like, okay, everybody, we're stopping for gas. Who needs to go to the bathroom? And two of the kids go to the bathroom. Anybody else need to go to the bathroom? We're going to try. I don't have to go. I don't have to go. I have to go. You get in the car. 12 minutes later, I have to pee. <laughs> we're like, so? You had your chance. Like, hold it. Hold it till Georgia. I don't even know what to tell you, you know? And then inevitably, there's one of those stops that you have to make. And because you're not from an area, you just look for the exit that looks like the one that's not like a main road where there's no way to get back on or there's no gas stations and for like 60 miles in either direction. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about an interstate exit with a blue sign and a McDonald's and a 7-Eleven on the sign. That's where you're looking for. And uh, so we had one of those stops and we couldn't find a blue sign. We didn't know how long it was going to be. And it was Julian screaming and he'll say, I'm going to go. And he means it. He will just go. <laughs> So we pulled over and all that was there was this like, like a junkyard full of old giant trucks, you know? And the good news is if you're a man, the world is basically your toilet. You know what I mean? Like you can, you don't need facilities of any kind at all. An open car door is all you need. And, and so we made it, we made it work. But, but, but like that exit is not a destination for anybody, is it? We're traveling through that area. Now, here's the connection in life. Sometimes we're living life and we find ourselves in a spot that is so remote and so difficult and so ugly and so not where we would ever want to be. Have you ever found yourself in a place like that going, this is not a place I would have picked to go or a season of life I would have hoped for or a set of circumstances that I ever would have drawn for myself. And yet here I am. And I've got good news for you. If you have the Lord as your shepherd, his intention is never to leave you in any of those places. He's always trying to move you from one good place to another good place, but there's always movement involved. Listen, if you're going through something hard, I got good news. You are going through it. Even for those of you who have been struggling and suffering for long periods of time, and maybe with something chronic, and maybe it's something that's not going away, maybe even something that you believe may even end in your untimely death, do you know that even beyond death's door, God has green pastures for you? The greenest. You guys are doing a good job, by the way, with the clapping. It's solid. It's really solid. They might even be able to hear you online. I don't know. The goal here, the picture is, is of movement from one good place to the next. And part of that movement is also about you engaging in the work that God has for you to do. I'm reminded of the, the woman at the well. We talk about this passage at our youth group, which we call the well pretty regularly because it's this interaction where Jesus connects a physical thirst to spiritual thirst. And he talks to the Samaritan woman, a, a, a person he shouldn't be talking to. A woman, first and foremost, alone should not be talking to her in those cultural standards. And then also a Samaritan, a foreigner, kind of a mixed blood um, person that the Israelites didn't really talk with. And so here's Jesus having this interaction. One of the things about this passage that oftentimes is overlooked because of the profound nature of the conversation that he and this woman are having about, about the, the spiritual water, the, the thirst that Jesus can, can quench is at the end of the passage. You'll see in John chapter four, verse one, it sets, it sets it up and there's this, this comment in there. Look at verses one to six. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, parenthetical, statement. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria, not a place he would wanted to stop, but he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Of course, the original readers would have known this geography quite well. And it says, so Jesus 
wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, lunchtime. And so here you have the, the infinite God in human form moving from one place to another, stopping at a rest stop that is non-preferable, no Starbucks, no Chick-fil-A. And he's weary physically. And it's in this condition that the disciples go to find food and Jesus has an appointment with a Samaritan woman who he points out that her kind of cyclical search for a man to fulfill a void in her is actually evidence that she was created for God and needs water that only Jesus can give her. There is no man that can be a shepherd to you. There is no woman that can make you so complete that your soul doesn't need a shepherd. And so Jesus brings her to this conclusion and she, you know, she's, she's rejoicing. Verse 27 of the chapter four, it says, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, uh, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? You, you gotta love this. Jesus is still this way. He's doing things all the time and people are like, what is going on around here? But nobody will ask the question at all. I just had a lot of self-control right there. I was gonna say something really funny and inappropriate. <laughs> Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man that told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So everybody's kind of coming to the well. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did he have beef jerky in his robe pocket? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus is so filled up by doing the thing that God sent him to do that his physical hunger has disappeared. Now, you may have never noticed that about this passage, but think about this for a second. The movement of the Christian life being shepherded by King Jesus, being led by God himself, is not just of going from one spot to another, but along the way, fulfilling the purpose for which you were made. And I think oftentimes we miss the fact that the green pastures that God wants to fill us from are actually the very work that he made us to do. Let that sink in for just a moment. You know, it's funny over the years, I've had lots of people come to Christ Church and leave Christ Church. I've had lots of people come from another church and come here. I've done all these interviews with people trying to find a church home. And I don't know what people say when they leave Christ Church about the reason why they left, but I sure do know all the reasons everybody else left all the other churches they left. And one of the common things that I hear over and over and over again, people will say this to me. They'll say, I left that church because I just didn't feel fed. You ever heard anybody say that before? I didn't feel fed. And I don't know what those churches were like. I wasn't there. That was not my pastor. I probably didn't listen to those sermons. I don't know if you were being malnourished spiritually or not. I do know right now, when you come to Christ Church, I'm gonna feed you like an Italian grandmother with a plate of lasagna. No, have another, have another, have another. Listen, you might leave here not feeling fed, but it's because you've been sleeping. You know what I'm saying? Because I will feed you to death around here. You will get more Bible on a Sunday morning than you read all month. 
if you come to Christ Church. That's my commitment to you. I will stuff you. I promise you I will do that. That's what's happening. But too often, we have this expectation of what green pastures look like. Maybe it looks more like a, a serene feeling or a feeling of rest. We don't, we don't recognize that a big part of what God intends for us to experience in terms of fullness is not necessarily word intake, although that analogy is true in the scriptures, but it's also a fulfillment of the purpose for which God called you. See, oftentimes, one of the big things we try to do at Christ Church is we try to get everybody mobilized, but everybody mobilized to use their gift because we know that when we slap a t-shirt on you and say, serve here for seven years, and it's not what God wired you for, it's only a matter of time before you burn out, right? I got one of those demotivational posters on my computer and it shows a match that's lit just a few inches above all these other matchsticks and it says, attitudes, attitudes are contagious, mine might kill you. And so we were trying to avoid burnout. But I can also tell you that when you take somebody who's wired by God to do a certain ministry, you put them in there and they will put 20, 30 volunteer hours on top of their job and they will, they will fall in bed smiling because they are doing the very thing God made them for and their hearts and spirits are filled because they've been led to green pastures. This is the picture we get from Jesus and this is the analogy that David gives us in this psalm. And so it's possible that you're feeling more burnout and you go, I can't do another thing. And I'm not saying you should do another thing. I might be saying you're trying, time for you to quit something. Time for you to say, I am not made for this. We need to give, make room for somebody who's wired for this to do this, somebody that's made to do this, somebody that's called to do this. But don't stop searching until you are living life in such a way that you are a blessing to other people. Your gifts are being used and you find yourself filled and full because of how the good shepherd leads you. Amen? Second thing he says, and this may help you if you're considering that and also right now totally burnt out and feeling spent and going, oh, I don't know. Look at this in verse, second part of verse two. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me beside still waters. There's a play on words here in the original Hebrew because it could be translated um, still waters, waters at rest, and that's kind of the idea of that these are, these are placid waters. These are not a rushing river, something that's gonna, you're gonna fall into and be swept away. But it's also, it could be translated waters of rest. That he leads us from place of, of work to rest, work to rest. And this has always been the biblical pattern. You realize this. I mean, God gave us the creation narrative partially for the, for the big illustration of both marriage and so we get the six days of creation, God rests. We back up to the special creation of man as male and female. We get chapter two and verse 24 that God puts Adam and Eve together to take two half things and make a whole thing. And now the purposes of God can be filled through procreation and filling the earth. Now you have this couple who's able to kind of round out the human experience and lead and govern and to create order out of chaos, just like God. And they need each other to do it. Neither of them can do it on their own. So we get these pictures. But the other picture there is that God designed creation creation in such a way to teach us that we were made to work. Work, 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 rest, repeat. Do you know that that's the cycle? And we, we live in this age where, and it really a, a culture and a location where the big ticket item is rest. Uh, some, some of us are aiming for permanent vacation by 65 years old. Other, others of us are like, I can't you know, I remember the line from Dumb and Dumber. You cannot find a job in this town, not unless you want to work 40 hours a week, right? 
And how, how many people right now are having this, it's easier to stay home and just get by on stimulus money and unemployment than it is to actually get out there and make a difference in the world. And does, does, is it not true that we need people to work where there are no people who will work? Everything shuts down, falls apart. And we're experiencing that right now. The biblical truth is that God made us to be productive and to be productive most of the time. Do you know this? You were made to work. If you are 12 years old in here, I'm here to tell you. I don't know if your parents tell you this or not. You were not made to be a YouTuber. You were not made to play video games for a living. You were, you were not made to work at a minimum wage job forever. That's for high school. Can I get amen? amen? You were made to bring something to the world that is an expression of you personally being made in the image of God. And that needs day after day after day after day of work. And it's in that work that you will find meaning and fulfillment and joy and peace and accomplishment and value and significance. But you weren't made just to work. Some of us take this to an unhealthy extreme. We become workaholics. We want to work, 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 work. And then when we should rest, work a little or work a little more. Or just work, 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 work and say, I'll take a break next spring when the work dies down, when the, when the opportunity's not there. And we work, 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 and we work, 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 and all we do is work. And there's even subcultures in our culture where that's a virtue, where if you work that much, people go, man, that, that guy right there, that woman right there, she never stops. And so we start to find significance in doing something that's the exact opposite because God made us to work, yes, but he made us also to every seventh day spend time with him, to cease from work, to put our trust in him, to say, I could work, I could make more, I could get more done, but you are my shepherd. I am not the shepherd. I am the sheep. And so I'm gonna trust in you and I'm gonna rest in you and I'm gonna worship you and I'm gonna bring you a gift from what has come out of my work and I'm going to spend time with my family and with my friends and I'm gonna do this in, in cyclical nature. And the more amazing thing is that through Jesus, we have a transformation. No longer under an old covenant do we experience, we do what God says, then we rest. Now, through Jesus, we're welcomed into a new covenant where we start on Sunday, we don't end on Sunday. We begin with the rest we receive through salvation by faith. And then from that, we give God our everything. And now we rest and then we work, work, work. We work, work, work. And this, brothers and sisters, is what it feels like to be shepherded by a good and righteous king whose name is Jesus. If you're waiting for more days off to feel rest, how many of you guys have been like, just you had your mind loaded for the third Saturday of this month. I get one day off and it's gonna be amazing. And then it's not amazing. <laughs> come on. We do it, we do it. We think all of our refreshing is gonna come. Oh, that vacation, this opportunity, this little dinner party, that's gonna be the thing. No, 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 it does not work like that. And so we're setting ourselves up for failure, for burnout, when God wants us to walk in his rhythms of work and rest. And this is what it looks like. He wants to lead us behind, beside still waters. Now, this is fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you realize this or not. Beside, alongside of, this is where the name of the Holy Spirit comes from in the Greek language, the paraclete. How many of you guys ever heard the word paraclete in the tradition that you were growing up? I always, when I heard preachers say that, I always imagined the Holy Spirit was not a dove, but a little yellow bird, a paraclete, you know? I did. I remember my, my little nine-year-old brain was like, 
I thought he was a white dove. I guess not. He's a Tweety Bird. <laughs> That's a parakeet. No, paraclete. This is, this is the, the one who comes alongside, the encourager. The word literally means to step next to and to encourage. You got this. You, he never leaves you. He's always there. He's like your coach. He's like your biggest fan. He never leaves you. And in, throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is referred to in connection to water. Also fire. We'll get to that in another sermon. But here, water. That there's gonna, Jesus even said in John 14, uh, John chapter four and verse 14, when he was talking to the woman of the well, he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Physical analogy. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Spiritual reality. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is talking here about the work of the Holy Spirit. You lead me beside still waters. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in a couple places in the New Testament, we looked at Titus last year where there's uh, qualifications of leaders. And one of the things is leaders cannot be a drunkard. You can't be a drunkard. And the Greek word for drunkard is alongside the drink. That's the word. And so I remember I, um, someone had given me like six or seven years ago a flask. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand if you have a flask. <laughs> Maybe if you have it on you, you should raise your hand. I don't know. Maybe you're like, I don't know how long this sermon was going to be, so I came prepared. <laughs> so I, I never carried a flask, but I had this flask. It wasn't like engraved or anything. And it had like, I don't know, some whiskey or bourbon or something in it that was in it when I got it. And I remember having this flask and reading this passage and seeing this word literally was alongside the drink. Like you can't be a leader and just all, wherever you go, you're just like, hey, what's up? What are we doing now? You know, like this is the concept. And so I went home and I threw my flask out because I just thought I'll never take this anywhere because that would put me right alongside the drink. <laughs> Seriously, I did. I threw it away. I don't have it anymore. It's gone. No, you can't have it. It's gone. <laughs> And now it's silly, it's a very specific application, but I just felt like for me, like I'm trying to be an elder for as long as God's called me to be a pastor, that's what I'm trying to be. And so I'm just not gonna be a guy that has a flask. Now, you, if you're not the pastor, you can have a flask. But for me, not gonna do it. Now, Paul makes this connection as well to alcohol because it can be something that, you know, some of us are like ADHD, super wired, always on, go, 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 can't turn it off. And it's very easy for us to get off work at five o'clock and our brains are running and we go, now I can relax. You guys are like, I didn't know we were talking about this today. This wasn't in the sermon notes. But it's so easy. It's so easy for that to become the thing that calms us, centers us, allows us to chill out. This is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says, look carefully then how you walk. There's the movement. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We've got a calling to change the world. We need to make good decisions. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But conversely, be filled with the Spirit. Can you imagine that God wants to do something in you and with you that is from his very heart, that is so powerful, focusing, overwhelming, empowering, that it could displace alcohol as a crutch for you? Amen. Now listen, this is what you won't get in AA. You'll get to higher power, and that's where you draw the line. And so many people get free of addiction to alcohol only to find themselves addicted to meetings just so that they can stay on the wagon. Do you know it? 
The reality is, is that God wants to do a miracle inside of you that sets you free. One that is every day I wake up to still waters. Every day there's a well to drink from that refreshes my soul, that I don't have to numb away anything, that I don't have to, to get my brain right by, by drinking or any other form of recreational stimulants because I got the Holy Spirit. And if you've never experienced the Holy Spirit that way, man, are you missing out? He wants to lead you. But part of that, part of that comes from you coming under the leadership of the Lord Christ. And sometimes we think that when we say yes to God, we say no to fun. When we say yes to God, we're saying goodbye to joy. When we say, I won't be doing these things anymore, we're giving up on a good life in order to have a hard or a dull or a boring life. And brothers and sisters, that could not be further from the truth. Listen, the things that will get you bogged down are the little things where we try to justify our life and try to fit it all in and try to be in control and try to make it work the way we want. Some of you said, you read Ephesians chapter five, it says, do not get drunk with wine. You're like, no problem, I don't like wine. You know? <laughs> and trying to get off on a technicality. You're like, I obey the scriptures literally, completely. I do not, no wine for me. But listen, we do this thing where we moralize everything, we create a rule for everything, and we just try to keep up. And here's the thing, you can't fulfill God's law, you can't even fulfill the laws you make for yourself. How many of you guys have ever completed all of your New Year's resolutions? No, it doesn't happen. Because we set out to be something that we can't even accomplish the little things we set for ourselves. Jesus came preaching into a highly religious environment where there was there was 10 rules for every law and everybody was under the extreme weight of the judgment of other people and the leadership of the Pharisees and the preachers of the synagogue and the scribes. And when he walked into an, an Israel that was harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, you know what he preached to them? John, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But it's still a yoke. Do you know what a yoke is? I should have brought a picture. It's what you put on cattle to plow the fields. Now when we go back to work again, you were made to work, be led be, be harnessed by God to be used to do the thing he made you to do. He has a yoke. You have to let him put the yoke on you. Some of us want to be wild and free bulls, bucking and kicking in the open field, doing whatever we feel like. That is not what you were made for. You need a yoke. But listen, exchange the heavy one you came in here with for the light one. Exchange the one of, of guilt and condemnation and inability and frustration and burnout for the one that's light and easy that results in rest. Listen, you gotta trust Jesus enough to let him be the boss. You gotta trust Jesus enough to let him take you places you wouldn't have otherwise gone, through places that aren't what you would stop for so that you can reach the place where he wants to feed you, so that you can be the person that he made you to be. It's time to shut down all the voices, all the old critics, all of the old ways, all of the insecurities, and just let Jesus put the yoke on you, and you will find rest for your soul. I mean, this is the commitment. Look at verse three. He restores my soul. Now, some of us are soul weary. Your, your soul is thin. 
We don't talk a lot about our soul except in terms of salvation. Every soul matters. We wanna see souls saved for Jesus. That's kind of like our little, our little white ball that ends up in heaven if we get there, you know? But your soul is the essence of you as a person. It's the existence of you. Without, without, the, without you in the world, that, that's your soul that makes that difference. When people get to know you, that's what the, the scriptures talk about. And listen, God wants to restore your soul. And some of us are soul weary. Our world doesn't know how to talk about this because our world is so relativistic, rationalistic, and humanistic that we don't think about anything beyond the physical, beyond physiological problems, psychological conditions. Everything can be solved with medicine or adjustments or a, or a certain visitation from a doctor or a therapist. All of it is just all natural. No, it is not. There is a part of you that cannot benefit from medication. There's a part of you that cannot benefit from therapy. You have a soul, and when your soul gets thin, there's only one physician that can heal it, and he's the good shepherd. But he's in the business of restoring the soul. Think about this with me for a second. Our world taps into this here and there. Have you guys ever heard of the term compassion fatigue? So psychologists have recognized and this has been going on for a long time, most, mostly with frontline and healthcare workers and soldiers, people who see horrific things and can do nothing to eliminate the suffering of other humans. And so their, their, their sense of empathy and compassion for other humans is so labored and becomes so thin that they end up turning off all compassion and becoming almost robotic just so that they can function. This is what psychologists have called compassion fatigue. And some of you have experienced it. I won't ask you to identify yourselves. You know who you are. But something has been happening over the, about the last 30 years as media has become in our faces and accessible 24 hours a day. And just regular old people, not soldiers, not frontline workers, not healthcare workers, not hospice nurses, we have been, we have been so exposed to the suffering of the 8 billion people on the globe with no capacity to make a difference that we ourselves just from observing the world as it is outside of our control, have become soul weary. And many of us don't even realize it. Wikipedia says, compassion fatigue is a condition characterized by emotional and physical exhaustion, leading to a diminished ability to empathize or feel compassion for others, often described as the negative cost of caring. This is plaguing our marriages, people. We get overstressed and soul weary and we can't have compassion for the person next to us. The person who needs our compassion and empathy and kindness the most. What's your problem? You're in a bad mood. Go get some time to yourself. I don't want to see you. Sleeping in separate rooms. Where is that coming from? Well, I got good news for you. It's not their fault. It might not be your fault either, but you need your soul restored and your spouse can't do that for you. And I can't do that for you, by the way, just since we're talking about that. If you're coming here expecting me to restore your soul, you're in the wrong place. I am not a soul restorer. I'm a good news preacher, and that is it. But the good news is that there is one to restore your soul. This helped me a lot. I read this, this article and listed among the people who are in helping professions are also a risk of experiencing compassion fatigue, which I personally have experienced. It says it includes child protection workers, clergy, teachers, social workers, social workers, palliative care workers, journalists, if there are any more, police officers, firefighters. And then I got to this one, public librarians. 
I was like, is it really that bad in the library that... I know. Are there any librarians here that can... Yeah, it's that bad. Shut up. Won't bring Julie in there, I tell you that. And then lastly, it said student affairs professionals. And I thought, yeah, that, that, that should be in there for sure. Listen, you need to be restored. Think about what restoration is. Think about the way we use the word. Restoration has to do with physical nearness. Have you ever had a marriage restoration? Have you ever grown distant in your relationship and needed to come back together and so you go on like a couple's retreat? Or Listen, we, we've got to come back together. This is why date night matters. This is why time, having meaningful conversation matters. Why you shouldn't have swing shifts if you can avoid it. I mean, how many, how many people... Dad works during the day and mom works at night and you see each other for 30 minutes and you swap off back and forth. You are not going to have a whole marriage when you are not spending time near to one another. Can I get amen? amen. And so restoration, soul restoration is about your nearness to God. You got to be restored to God. You got to spend time with God. It's also about a previous blessing. Some of, some of us walk through a season of, of significant blessing and God's blessing has been upon us. And then through our own weariness, maybe even through our own rebellion, we find ourselves outside of the, of the sphere of God's overflowing blessing. And God's always after us to bring us back. Do you know that? He's the good shepherd. He always goes, when we're outside of his blessing, he always comes in search of us to bring us back in. This is why it matters so much when you talk to people uh, old friends, de-churched people, angry people, offended people, estranged people. When you come out and you speak an encouraging word or a kind word or a welcoming word, oftentimes God uses that just to bring people right back because he is the restorer of the soul. And so this is what we're meant to be engaged in working with. It's also a big picture of wholeness. Your soul needs to be made whole. And we're always in various degrees of brokenness but we have a good shepherd who wants to lead us from green pasture to green pasture, from still water to still water to restore our soul. Blaise Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart of every man, which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the creator made known through Jesus. There is no substitute. You will never find it. You will not you will not, there's not enough cocaine. There is not enough CrossFit. There is not a perfect person. There's not enough success, enough money, no goals. You will never, ever, ever find wholeness in your soul without a relationship with Jesus. And he is here to welcome you back in to bring you home. And if you're feeling thirsty, if you're feeling hungry, maybe that's an indication to you that God is calling your name. Listen to the thirst language, Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor on that which does not satisfy? In Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride together, the source of living water and those shepherded by the good shepherd, the bride of Christ say, come, let him who hears say, come, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Let God restore your soul. We're good at restoring other things. 
Uh, we were at the car show last night at One Daytona, and there was a lot of old cars. And so people are good at restoring cars. I talked to this old guy, and he was saying he just sold the last three cars that he had, and he has no car. He's like, he was like a little antsy, like, I don't have anything to work on. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm looking for something. Every little thing that was for sale he was looking at. I said, oh, I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if something more than the next car needs restored. <laughs> we restore houses. We're a DIY generation, aren't we? All of us are like, I'm going to get a fixer-upper. You, you're, you're just Joanna Gaines waiting to happen, every one of you. There's a whole, there's a whole house full of crown molding to be installed, and all, all of us are thinking about these restoration products, you know? And restoration's important. We restore furniture. We restore antiques. Some of us restore, you know, hair and skin, all that other stuff that age is wearing out. But how many of us are actively allowing God to restore our soul? I'll wrap up with uh, verse 3b. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We have that movement, that motion, he leads me. Paths of righteousness is the direction from green pasture to green pasture, the place he wants to take you, the way he wants to get you there. This is what following Jesus looks like. There's no diversion to evil. There's no uh, temporary exit to the old ways. It's a, a path of righteousness that he wants to lead you in. And he's committed to doing that, not only for your good, but for his very reputation. Um. You know, Florida is flat, and so we don't get this picture. But have you ever seen one of these roads before? It's called a switchback. Uh, had to look that up. I remember the first time I was on a road like this, I was on um, a camping trip with my cousins, and we were driving into the Utah desert to Lake Powell, where we were going to camp and wakeboard for seven days. And they picked me up in Flagstaff, Arizona, where I was with friends. And they had a ski boat and a, a dually quad cab forward pickup and there was a bunch of us going and I got in the back of the pickup truck instead of the cab of the pickup truck because there wasn't room and this is like 11 o'clock at night in Flagstaff, Arizona and I woke up at like 6 in the morning in the back of the truck going down a road like this with a ski boat being pulled behind a dually quad cab truck and every single turn the front passenger side tire was kind of going off the road and the the boat was kind of like thumping down the hairpin turn. And there was like 20 more of these to go. And I'm in the bed of the truck looking over. Ah! It was terrifying. Now think about this for a second. It's the fastest way to get down a hill is to go straight off the edge, isn't it? The shortest point, but the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, isn't it? But listen, God doesn't want you to live a life that's like, but how many times do we do that? We just go for the path of least resistance. We go for easy. We go for straight. We go, I, that's where I want to go. I'm just jumping in. No! Listen, you need, you need a shepherd who can lead you from point to point to get you safely where he wants you to arrive. Do you know that? And he wants to do that for his name's sake. This is a really important phrase in the scripture. I wish I had 20 more minutes. Go read Ezekiel chapter 20 and Ezekiel chapter 36. Everything in between is also part of that, but I'm giving you small assignments, okay? Ezekiel chapter 20, and watch for the phrase, for my namesake. Because through the prophet Ezekiel, God reminds his rebellious people, Israel, who's suffering judgment and exile, that when you are in the desert, 
I should have opened up the ground and swallowed all of you because of your rebellion, but I preserved a remnant for my namesake. And when I sent you into the land that I would give to you, I should have consumed you all because of your idolatry and because you failed to do the things I told you to do, but I preserved you for my namesake. And when you turned away from me and you went into exile and you should have been no longer a people, you should have been dismissed and dispersed and diluted to beyond existence, I kept for myself a remnant and returned you to the land for my namesake. And he's calling out through the prophet Ezekiel to say, I've always done these things not because of you, but because of who I am. You keep acting in a way that makes me look bad, and I keep saving you not because you're worth it, but because I love you, and I'm faithful, and I'm righteous, and I always keep my promises. And this is the picture. And then we get to Ezekiel 36, and this is where God is going to fix the human problem because there's not enough good Israelites, there's not enough good kings, there's not enough pure prophets and priests. Every human being is broken. There is not one. And so God himself becomes the one in whom we all can experience salvation and restoration of soul. And listen to what he says. Speak this to the house of Israel, Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Look at verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from the countries and bring you back to your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is what God will do for his namesake. He's committed, he is committed not only to the restoration of your individual soul, but of putting the world back together, of saving every human being who would put their faith in Jesus, of making a nation of nations for himself and of bringing us into a good and glorious land, a place of green pastures and still waters. And we are the ones that God has called to lead us through this life to bring that good news, to put it on display, to offer it to other people and to, and to invite people to come to the leadership of the good shepherd. He has died in our place. He has been raised for vindication and for our salvation. He has ascended and is reigning and he is welcoming us to walk with him to work with him to know him and to invite others to do the same and we know that he will bring about this purpose globally for the sake of his holy name this is why we can have every confidence that God will do every single thing that he has promised in these passages and in every other word of scripture amen amen we're going to close with a song but I took up all the time 
And so I, I apologize to the worship team, especially because they work hard for you guys to lead, to lead us. And so I just wanna pray for you. And I'm gonna ask God to begin to lead you into the soul restoration that he has for you, amen? God, thank you for every single person in my hearing. Lord, all of us have a soul made, crafted, handmade by you. You desire and have designed to walk with us, to lead us, to care for us, to take us from green pasture to green pasture, from still water to still water. God, I pray for everybody at a truck stop in the middle of nowhere, feeling stressed out and burned out and on their own. God, I pray that this would be the moment that they yoke to Jesus, follow you. And I thank you that all it takes is a word of faith. All it takes is an expression that God, we need you, that we are not enough, that we are insufficient, that you are the Lord, that we are not, that you are the good shepherd and we are the sheep of your pasture. God, we thank you that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, you are the God who makes us whole. And so do your miracle in us and bring good news through us for the sake of your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Amen. Our prayer teams are here. And if you have any need of prayer at all, they are eager to pray with you, especially if you want to take a next step of following Jesus for the first time as Lord and Savior. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. I look forward to continuing this series with you next week.